0: Good morning again, church. I'll ask you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we find ourselves once again this morning. And we are in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. It's the beginning of our text. If there's one place and one central location that we could discernibly say is under direct attack from the enemy and indeed has been the focus of his from the beginning of time. It's the home. For a pastor to point out the reality of divorce rates uh, in our society has almost become cliché. Right? It's it's something that is is referenced often. But things are often become cliche because of their truthfulness. The ever increasing acceptance we see of of alternative lifestyles, gay marriage, the continued assault on children's identity, whether it be orientation or gender identity, the waves continue to mount against one place, the home. And so it is increasingly important that we have an anchor point, a reference for how we are to endure those waves, how we are to address those issues and concerns, how we are to stay steadfast amidst cultural pressure. So this morning, we will see that the home is where the gospel flourishes. It's where God uses the transformative power of the gospel to shape us as husbands, wives, children, parents into the image of Christ. And this, I don't want you to check out this morning because I know we have many, many people, many families in here they are in different stages of parenting, different stages of life. And so sometimes when you hear children, you hear parents, you hear family as the topic of conversation. Those of you who may be on the, the later ends of that journey of yours might think, might just think it's time to check out, right? I don't want that to be the case because we are all in here. We all either have children or are someone's child, okay? We are all in households, some of us, households which are broken, some of us, households which are, are still have been redeemed by Christ and, and whatever that looks like, whatever the context this morning, this speaks to all of us. As we saw many weeks back on this, as we began the walking that path of holiness, and Paul gives us those different stepping stones in which to walk, we saw that one of the first ones was to walk united. United. So even if you're here this morning and you're not in that stage where you're parenting or, or maybe your spouse has gone to be with the Lord or, or you're not with your spouse, whatever that looks like, you are, we are all united as a church here at Southside. And so you have brothers and sisters around you who are in that stage of life and who could use your wisdom, your love, your input. Because that's what it means to be part of the church. So the home is where God uses the transformative power of the gospel to shape us into the image of Christ. And this morning we'll see God's good design for preserving the home amidst the storm of a broken and sinful world. That we may be anchored in Christ. I'm going to encourage you, once again, to stand and honor the reading of God's Word as we read this morning's text, which begins with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, and we'll end at chapter 6, verse 9. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of God. Let's pray. God, as we come before your word, May it wash over us. May it reprove, rebuke, correct. I pray that we would not leave here the same. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated, church. So last week, we broke down the beginning of Paul's explanation of how the gospel impacts every facet of our lives. And he begins with this admonition, with the command, he begins this admonition with the command to be watchful, to be watchful, to use cautious watchfulness. We broke down Paul's path of pursuing holiness, and we've broken that down over the last several weeks, where we are to walk worthy, and in walking worthy, we walk united, we walk holy, we walk in love as children of light, and finally last week we saw that we are to walk wise. But what I want us to understand today is that the walk of pursuing holiness does not end at the welcome mat of our homes, but rather flows from there. Now, one contextual element that we cannot overlook, and and this is why I phrase it this way, that last week we began to break down Paul's explanation of how the gospel impacts every facet of our lives. Because last week we saw how the gospel speaks to our behavior and our activity and how we live and our obedience in public, in in the public square and and out and about in society. Well, that continues, therefore, into the home. Because if it's not taking place in the home, well, then it certainly is not going to be taking place rightly in public. And so that contextual element, which I mentioned, that I don't want us to overlook, is that everything that we read today, everything I just read for us as we read through the entirety of today's text, is in the context of what Paul says in the final verse that we read last week, verse 21. So let's read verse 21 of last week, from last week once more, and then we'll continue. So submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is the context in which, as we were building last week, we started with verse 15, uh, looking carefully then how you walk, using careful examination, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time. So all of this as we're living our faith out in the midst of society, as we're living our faith out in the context of community, this is how it's it's to take place. Not being foolish, understanding what the will of the Lord is, not getting drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, all these things that we saw last week. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so we ended last week with that point that those who are in Christ are to live lives of service. Live lives of service. That's submitting to one another, right? But the anchor there, the the standard by which we submit to one another Is the last part of that sentence, out of reverence for Christ. So Christ is our standard for how we therefore submit to our brothers and sisters in the church, how we submit to one another. And therefore, as we then go into, and this is where our our modern, our breaking down of chapters and verses can sometimes cause us to lose the context of, of what we're reading. Because if you were to just read, The verses that are addressed the home, it would kind of you would lose the idea that this is in the vein of walking wise. That to walk wise is to take careful consideration for not only how you live amongst the public and amongst one another, but to take careful consideration for how you structure and order your homes. So our posture, as we outlined last week, is to be one of service. Last week's text dealt largely with how we reflect Christ amongst society at large. I, I mentioned that already. So when we walk amongst a sinful and broken world, we must walk wise. Likewise, when our families are living amongst a sinful and broken world, we must wisely structure and lead our families so this week's text and last week's text are inextricably linked and the overarching idea here is that the is our first point this morning on your outline that the gospel structures every facet of our lives the gospel structures every facet of our lives There is no metaphorical unturned stone in our lives which the gospel does not speak to and shape. Every element of who we are and how we live, the gospel speaks to. As those who are in Christ, walking united, holy, in love, as children of light and wise, there is no part of our lives which the gospel does not provide structure, which means a few things. We must know our gospel. It must be clearly defined and communicated. This is why statements of belief and statements on uh, on God's word as our sufficient authority are so crucial. We must submit to every command of the gospel. We cannot allow ourselves to pick and choose which parts of the gospel we will decide to follow. Because when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And so as those who are in Christ, we must submit to Christ not only in how we do business in society, not only in how we have relationships amongst the broken world, not only in all of our other relationships, but especially in our homes. So what is the primary place where the gospel provides structure, form, and guidance, the home. And that's what Paul is breaking down for us here. We start back, we pick back up verse 22. We'll read it again. Verse 22. So submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, wives, so therefore this is the one another. He's breaking down who that one another is, right? So wives, this is how you submit, Which means that that there's other forms of submission for the other roles coming too, right? So, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, a lot of people like to stop right there with reading these verses, right? Verse 23 is good enough. All right, we're good, right? So, a lot of people like to do that both ways. Those who are naysayers about the church like to think that that's that's how the church views women. Like this is how the church structures itself, right? And those who also, on the way other end of the spectrum, would like to make that out to be the caricature of what Paul is saying, that that, that this is how husbands ought to be, that they're the, the lord of the household, so to speak, right? That is not the case. So, Many people balk at this idea. The truth is here in the middle. It's not on either of those spectrums. It has certainly become culturally popular, as I said, to condescend this model of marriage as archaic or sexist and dogmatic. However, this is of no surprise for the world of chaos always has and always will find itself opposed to God's order and design. Because when the world's dogma and God's design are at odds, it is always God's design that is true, right, and good. That's why our next point on this morning's outline is that God's design for the home is true, right, and good. This debate can often spark heated controversy in Christian circles, right? You got complementarian versus egalitarian. The, the answer to why the world is in the state that it's in always begins with sin, right? However, the area in which sin has so potently corroded is the home. And that is why this brings so much vitriol and, and passion We've already discussed the Attacks on marriage, gender, the unborn, on and on. All of these attacks on the home. Now what we see here, what Paul is breaking down, is not a role for wives to just be yes women. I almost said yes men because that's the, that's the phrase. But it's not just to simply just say yes. Look, notice, wives, submit to your own husband's as to the Lord. For the husband, notice, he's bringing up the role of the husband in his address to wife. For the husband is the head of the wife. This is the crucial part right here. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. So the role that Paul is outlining here because he's just simply highlighting what God's design is. It's not Paul's invention. He's highlighting what God's design is, right? So the role that he's given women here is that they model the church in this instance. And the church is Christ's body. And this brings me to my next point on our outline, right? Is that those who are in Christ must model Christ. Every role that Paul outlines in his address to the home, he draws that line to how it models Christ. So, the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So, even though the husband is the head, the wife is in this analogy, and God's design is the body, the church right? Well, what's a head without the body? Dead. Okay? So so this idea that Paul is somehow saying here that the husband is the head, therefore he is the one that is the most important, he's it, right? That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying that the church is the body of Christ. You can't get any more importance emphasized on the body itself than that. So as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So he's saying that God has designed the home so that the husband has a different role than what the wife has. But if you take the two apart, a head without a body, it's dead, right? They don't function right separately. They also don't function right if you try to put one out of the order, right? If my head were on my foot, that doesn't work. This is the, what is being outlined here. It's not something in which he is saying, this is the hierarchy of order. He's saying, this is how God has designed the home. This is how God has designed marriage. So as the body and the head are one yet the body submits to the head's leadership because my, my arm does what my head tells it to do. Now, when, whenever it, that analogy breaks down, because sometimes our body doesn't listen to the head, right? We have spasms or different things happen. And when that happens, we acknowledge that that is not right, right? That, we, that, that something's wrong. We go to see a doctor to figure out what the issue is. So as the body and the head are one, yet the body submits to the head's leadership. And this brings us, so wives, we're going to walk through each subpoint here as to what it looks like for each role to model Christ. So wives submit to husbands as the church submits to Christ. So wives, in fulfilling that role, are a reflection of the glory of God in the church. So, as wives submit to husband, wives submit to husband as the church submits to Christ. In submission to husbands, wives are painting a portrait of Christ that husbands cannot recreate and that the world cannot conceptualize. Every now and then you'll see a piece of art sell for outrageous sums of money, right? And oftentimes, You or I will look at that piece of art and say, I don't get it, right? So, but you know who does get it? The artist and the buyer, the one who is willing to pay that outrageous sum of money. When we each play the God-given role in our families, we are creating a beautiful tapestry that the world cannot understand but that is worth untold sums of money because it's reflecting the glory of God in creation. When each of us, husbands, wives, children, parents, play the role that God has given us, we create a beautiful tapestry of God's glory reflected to the world. Why is it, why is that Why is it worth untold sums of money when we reflect the good design of God? Because when we reflect God's true good and right design for the family, as I've already said, we reflect the glory of God in creations. And so wives, do not shirk at submission. For this is God's design for your good, for your family's good. And this is God's design for his glory. This is not some belittling, subservient role either. Rather, this is of equal value and significance. As we continue reading, we see how this complements the role that God has given to husbands. Pick back up in verse 25. Husbands, all right, again, so we're walking through, submitting to one another. Who is that one another? Well, we've already read the role and how, that, how the wives reflect God's glory and reflect Christ and model Christ in the marriage. Now, husbands, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, the word submission is not in here, but... The word that is painted all over what we're... Because we're going to continue reading because you're going to notice just how how much verses had to be dedicated to correcting the husbands and how few verses had to be dedicated to instructing the wives, right? All right, so the word that kind of encapsulates everything that we're about to read in the instruction for husbands is sacrifice. Okay? Okay. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So the standard for husbands and their love that they show their wives and that being their primary role, the standard for that is the cross. Continue, verse 26. That he might, so this is Christ, the he, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her. So it just says, Christ sacrificed himself for the church. And again, Who is the the wife in this analogy? The church, right? So this is the head, Christ. And what is he doing? Sacrificing himself for the body. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself... So he did what was necessary to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So then the, the standard that's set being Christ and the cross, and he did, went to whatever lengths was necessary to present his body, the church, as splendid without spot or wrinkle holy, without blemish. And he did so at the the sacrifice of himself. So verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. So again, head and body are the analogy here. Husband is the head, wife is the body. But here, wives, submit to your husbands. Now, It's husbands love your wives, but not within the standard of the world loves, not within your own self-definition of love, but he gives a standard of love, and that standard of love is the cross. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father. I told y'all, it took a lot more verses to instruct the men than it did to give wives their instruction. So, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife. As himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, notice again, it took us very long. That's intentional. It's not like they just could grab a phone, type something out, sit on a computer, type something out. These are handwritten notes, right? So anything that's written is intentional, any amount that is given must be measured. So you tell me who needs more guidance and reproof in their role and in their command. Notice that Paul doesn't say, wives submit to your husbands. Husbands, enjoy your rule as Lord of your household. Rather, he charges the husband to even further model Christ by modeling the cross. I love to go to weddings. i I, you know, I always thought I would enjoy being in weddings until all my friends started to get married. And then I realized it's way much more work to be in a wedding than it is to just go to a wedding, right? Going to weddings, lots of fun being in a wedding. You're not just a groomsman. You're also the chair setter upper. You're the terror downer. You're, you're expected to do everything, right? So I love even more than going to weddings and, and, You know, being in weddings is probably at the bottom, but unless I'm in the wedding as the one who's officiating the wedding. I love to do weddings. And when I do weddings, I preach this passage, these passages, because as I said, as our first point, God's design for the home is right, good, and true. And so what we are seeing here is a model of self sacrifice is to be the model for husbands. Husbands model the sacrificial love of Christ. It's the next point on your outline. Husbands, are, we are to be a picture of the cross in our household. We are to be a picture of the cross in our household. So, how we love and care for our wives is intended to reflect the sacrificial love of Christ displayed for us on the cross. So, if you ever find yourself in a bind, if you find yourself struggling as a husband, the first place you go to reflect on how you are doing is you go to the cross. The cross sets the standard for us. As husbands, For the cross is the ultimate model of submission, sacrifice, and love. So as wives are told to submit to their husbands, husbands are then told to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And then wives submit to your husbands. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So it's not who's on top and who's number two. It's who can love each other as Christ more. So we are continually modeling self-sacrifice in the marriage. So the challenge for us is how are we doing at modeling the standard? So this is for husbands and wives. Where do we need to repent that we may better submit and better reflect the cross? And where do we need to better lead that we may better reflect the cross? Where do we need to sacrifice that we may better reflect the cross? You see, but the gospel does not just structure the marriage relationship, as we said. It structures all relationships. We had the, the catch-all last week in verse, in cha- at the end of chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Now we move on to chapter 6. So pick back up chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So pause right there. So the, the phrase that I want us to look at real quick and just what I want us to focus on is, for is there the end of chapter uh, chapter 6 verse 1 for this is right and the word in that phrase that i want us to think about is right meaning you know, so right meaning it is true and good so the question that we must ask ourselves is what makes anything true and good and right and the answer is God's design. So if you're in here this morning and you're a child, children, I want you to listen to me real quick. You've been tuning me out this whole time, so I want you eyes up here, all right? So kiddos, I know I say kiddos. I want all eyes up here. Your parents are a gift of God's grace for your protection, your growth, and you're flourishing. I do not want any child to buy into the lie of the enemy and the lie of this world that parents are overlords that take away all the fun. It might seem like that sometimes. I've had to be that, that one that takes away all the fun. Right? But your pa- I've also had to be the one who had the fun taken away. So your parents have been given that role by God's design. They have been given that role specifically over you by God's design. All right? So, and they've been given that role, not only by God's design, but they've been given that role by God's design for your good and for God's glory. So when you obey your parents, which you should, don't take my word for it, It's right there in the Bible. All right. So when you obey your parents, you glorify God by obeying your parents. You might ask yourself, how? How how does it glorify God to obey my parents? And the answer is because when you obey your parents, you model Christ. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right Christ modeled perfect obedience to his father on behalf of us to model the sacrifice that is the standard for husbands and to wash clean for himself the church which is the standard for wives so children model the faithful obedience of Christ the next point on the outline this morning. Children, model the faithful obedience of Christ. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. In verse 2, you see Paul references Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and mother, right? But then he gives some commentary to it, right? He says, this is the first commandment With a promise. So in this commandment, a promise is provided that if you do this, this will happen. And what is that promise? Or was that promise, excuse me, to the children of Israel? Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Well, all that, of course, is predicated on what? That father and mother are reflecting and rightfully obeying the word of God in their homes. So therefore, as children obey their parents, they're therefore obeying their parents, reflecting the word of God to their children so that they're learning the word of God. This all, you know, comes from Deuteronomy 6. Now, as we see, children model the faithful obedience of Christ. As much of a as a burden, as that might sound, as the world makes it out to be. I want children, again, I want you to hear this part because it seems like a burden to hear that. Obey your parents, right? That's how the world would have us think. Obey your parents. It's actually a relief. How precious a gift are parents who love The Lord and live according to his ways. Because if you live in obedience to them, this is the model that's being reflected for us by Paul. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. And what was that promise? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. The idea being for us is that as we obey our parents, as they model Christ, We are being sanctified in that. The Lord is working in that parenting. He's working in that discipline that our parents are are passing down. He's working in that obedience to bring about His glory and to shape us into reflections of Him. You see, the real weight, the real burden of responsibility in that commandment of children obey your parents Falls on who? It falls on the parents. We continue. We see that as we pick back up in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So the command here is not to not discipline but to discipline in such a way that we are constantly pointing our children to the cross. All discipline is to be done with the cross as the goal. This is is the, the point here, that in disciplining our children rightly, we are pointing them to the cross. Doing so out of turn with that is provoking. All discipline must be done with the cross as the goal. Discipline is good and right, but must not be done without discipline. Right? Did you catch that? So if we are to discipline rightly, we must exercise discipline in our discipline. So we must be disciplined in our discipline. In doing so, we see our next point there, fathers model the patient discipline of Christ. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So just as we have been given God's word, we may discipline ourselves. Just as Christ was crucified so that out of obedience to the Father, so that we might be as his church, washed without spot or wrinkle, presented to him, holy, We, as parents, are to rightly discipline our children by pointing them to the cross in our discipline. We continue reading. We see verse 5 speaks to an area of the home that we are not familiar with because this is a very much a cultural barrier here. All right, so let's read it and then I'll break some of that down. So verse 5, bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. With a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord And this is the key point right here. Whether he is a bondservant or free. So I mean, that's everybody, right? Verse 9. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. So in other words, masters, you have a master and you better obey him. So the the cultural difference here is that we think, we hear bond servants, we automatically think 1800 slavery, right? That's just our context as Americans. That's what we think. This is a much different context. Slavery was all over the world and all different cultures, all throughout history. And this type of bondservant type slavery. was an indentured servitude, right? The bondservant lived in the same house as the master, lived there with everybody, worked off a debt. Most of the way you either became a a bondservant or a slave was through uh, capture in war or you had a debt that you needed to pay off, right? And so that was, they would work their way out of debt. And so Naysayers have used this to say that the Bible condones and supports slavery, which is not true. Others have used this in other ways and used and misused these verses. What the important thing to distinguish here is once again our main point. That the gospel structures every facet of our lives. So Paul was speaking to a cultural reality in his day. You say, well, why didn't Paul say, masters, let your slaves go, and so reflect the love of Christ? Because that's just not a reality that was available to them. It's not something that, that, that would take place. So he says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. You have a debt to pay off. Obey them with fear and trembling, with sincere heart, as you would Christ." So in bond servants, obeying their masters, they're reflecting good Christ-like obedience. Not by way of eye service, just being, just, just doing it half-heartedly just because you know it's what you're supposed to do as people-pleasers, uh, but rather work at your job, which is what this is more in the context of, uh, work at your job as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with goodwill. And so that, you know, he, he's bringing it down to a level for everybody. Is that verse that I emphasized there, verse 8? Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. So this, this is, applies across the spectrum, no matter what role you're playing. And then he brings the masters down. He says, "Masters, do the same to them, right? So, just tell a master to do the same to the slaves as what the, as the bond servant as what the bondservant is doing to them." In the culture of this time, would have been completely disrespectful and completely out of whack. And Paul is saying, "This is what it's like in being in Christ. This is what it's like in the kingdom of God. That masters, you're going to do the same to your bond servants." That's what they're doing to you. Stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And that there is no partiality with him. So you will be judged based on how you execute your authority in this area, masters. So, as we've seen, the gospel structures every facet of our lives. From when we are raised with generational faith, our children aren't afraid to bring their sinful struggles to us. In fact, that's what we want to see. That's our goal. Wives aren't afraid of thriving in their role of submission. Husbands aren't defensive about leading in their role of sacrificial love. Children are eager to obey their parents. Every facet of life is structured and guarded for God's glory and our good. Now, the reality is that this is difficult. This is hard. It's hard for wives to submit. Don't take that in. That's not meant to, all right? It's hard for husbands to sacrifice. It's hard for children to obey. Parents, you don't have to give that sideways glance, all right? It's hard for fathers to discipline wisely. Why is it so hard? Because sin runs deep. And this is why the community of the church is all the more crucial for helping us, holding us accountable, equipping us that we may be united in this endeavor. So that husbands, we can hold each other accountable. So that wives can hold each other accountable. So that children can grow and learn how to... uh, reflect God's glory in their obedience to their parents. For God's design is true, right, and good. So let us celebrate it and let us walk in obedience to it. Let's pray. God, we love you. I pray for each family here. God, that you have carefully designed the children that you have gifted us with, for the marriages that you have brought together by your design and for your glory. I pray that you would help each of us, give each of us the necessary strength and discipline to walk in those roles according to your good, true, and right design. No matter the cultural pressure, no matter the attacks of the enemy, I pray that wives would submit, that husbands would love as Christ loved the church. I pray that children would obey and that fathers would discipline wisely and that all... would not see themselves as more important than their brother or sister, but that we would serve one another out of reverence for Christ. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.